Last week, uh, Brian Kolzicki. Am, am I all right? Is there an echo? Are you guys cool? Can you hear me all right? Is the, if the words are coming through, it's cool. Um, Brian Kilzicki helped us as the pastor of the day, as the preacher of the day, to uh, look at who the real Jesus is. Because if this Jesus that John has been talking about is the one who comes to give us life, and if we don't know who the real Jesus is, then obviously the price we pay is that we have no life. And now we're back kind of to the main theme in, in chapter 4, verse 7, of what it looks like to abide in this Jesus who is life. And I've got to tell you that this is the emotional, theological pinnacle of this letter, this section today. And um, let's read it, and then I want to tell you three things that John says to us about the love that he's been talking about and working toward helping us understand that really embodies who this Jesus is in and through our lives out into the world. He says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I mean really knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By the way, you notice he says that everyone who loves is born of God. You can't love like God unless you're born again into his family. But you notice it doesn't say if you don't love, you're not born of God. Because there are a lot of born-again folk who have not yet experienced his love enough to love. So only those who are born again can love well. But if you're, if you're not loving well, it means you don't know him well enough yet. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're not born again. You can be a born-again, unloving person, unfortunately. John's trying to help us with that. In this, verse 9, in this, the love of God was revealed, manifest. There's that word John's been using over and over again. Toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And then he says it again, in this is love, not that we loved God. No, but that he chose to love us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, it only makes sense. We also ought to love one another. Now, then he says this. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God walks, lives, abides among us. He's seen. The unseen God is seen. And his love literally comes to maturity or perfection in and amongst us. Wow. By this, we know that we are walking with him. We're abiding in him. And he is abiding in us because he has given us of his spirit. The spirit's the one that produces this love. And we, he's now not talking about the apostolic circle. He's talking about us, believers. And we, we as believers have also seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God walks with him, lives in him and her, and he and she in God. And we, that's us again, have known and believed in this love that God has for us. God is love. 
And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. (coughs) My, my, my. You may be seated. So here are the three things that John says. Number one, and you can follow on your outline. The first one, he's talked about back in John, 1 John 3, 10 through 15. Remember we talked about how believers show out God? Do you remember this? I'm sure it's just been on your mind ever since I preached it a few weeks ago. Yeah, thank you, Chris, for that lie. Um, thank you. But we talked about how John says this is how you show out. This is how we manifest who God really is back in 1 John 10, 3 through, 3, 10 through 15. So he's kind of recapitulating in this pinnacle passage, this theme that he's alluded to before. And this is what he says, basically, in verses 7 and 8. He says, God is love, so when we're about him, we are about love. It's not really rocket science. Tough to do because of our flesh, but it's, it's not hard to really comprehend or understand. The key phrase, obviously, in verse 7, and it's also repeated in verse 16. It forms kind of a, 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 a kind of a two outsides of an Oreo cookie with the cream filling again in, in between is the, this phrase, God is love. God is love, verse 7. God is love, um, verse 16. Uh, actually, God is love, verse 8. God is love, verse 16. And I want you to notice, I, I, this might be a subtlety, but I think it's powerful. He doesn't say God is loving. He doesn't just say God loves. He says God is love. Do you see the difference? Like, God's got other character traits like mercy, compassion. You know, it never says in the scripture, as far as I know, it says God is merciful. But it never says God is mercy. And then it does say in 1 John, God is light. And so that would be analogous to God is love, but it's more stated in an esoteric way. Um, God is love is more palpable, it's more tangible. I was thinking again of another phrase, uh, God is holy. But it doesn't say God is holiness. I think it's astounding that if you've got an apostle, this guy, the, all the other apostles were martyred by the time probably that he got around to writing this book. Depends on, on where you date this book in terms of writing it. But it's astounding to me that if this guy is going to say, I've got to tell you one thing about God. There's just one thing I want you to know. And everything else kind of falls underneath this thing. The one thing that he says is, is that God is love. And I was thinking this week, when I was raised in the church even, what would I have said God is? If somebody would have said fill in the blank, God is, I think I probably would have said uh, God is rules. Anybody amen that? God is rules. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, that's the way it would have gone down. God is rules. No, I know he's not, Cindy, but that's what I would have thought. God is Punishment. God is what, Ron? Go ahead. God, I, some people might have heard that God is faithful. To be honest, I didn't hear that. I, that's, that's a good one. He is faithful. He's powerful. Interesting, he never, the scripture never says God is power. It says God is powerful. 
I got to tell you, growing up, I never thought, and even sometimes today, I struggle to, when I think about God, who is he? He is love. When you think about God today, his defining character trait in your life, what do you think about? And then John says, he is so much about love. He says that only those who who are born of him, who have his DNA, can actually love. Others, he would say, are imitators. They're posers. They might do a loving thing that kind of looks kind of loving, but if you could unpack their heart and get right down to the core of what's really coming out of them, John would say if they don't have his DNA, it might look kind of love-like, but it can't be really love from the core out because they don't have his DNA. And then he goes on to say if we claim to really know him, I mean really be intimately connected with him, the only real way to show it is to love like him. It is that simple. God is love. And when we're about him, we're about that love. When you think of being about him, like showing him out, what do you think of? Do you, do you, if we tend to think God is rules, I've got to tell you, we'll tend to think showing him out is about the rules. If we tend to think that God is punishment, we're going to tend to think that showing him out is about pointing and judging and judgment. If we tend to think that God is primarily power, then we will tend in our lives to think, gosh, if I'm not some kind of spectacular something. But what if we knew that God is love? And when we know him, what starts to flow out of us is this thing called love. In fact, I think it was um, Donald Miller who said, When Jesus, as the Son of God, gets inside somebody, the first thing that starts happening is the person starts loving people, regardless of their race and their socioeconomic status or their looks. As a guy who grew up something of a misfit, Donald Miller says, I can assure you few would have loved me if it were not for my local church where there were some folk who were born of God and knew God and loved him because when you know God, that's what you do. And you know what? You can have all the doctrinal categories and you can have everything about the Christian faith locked down and you can give your body to be burned, Paul says. But if you don't have love... You might be one of his children, but you don't yet know him very well yet. John says, when we start to know him, you just, you can't help it. You can't help it. When his love is like on you, on you, you can't help but give it away. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. No. It is about relationship. It's not as much about faith. And I think I'm really trying to tell you what I think John thinks. I'm trying to fit my paradigm into his paradigm. I think what John's trying to say in these verses is that... Um, um, 
Yes. Yes, their fathers and mothers who lost a child. Yes. I, I, I think you've got to understand that John is, is speaking from um, an ontological perspective that is pure in the sense that he is simply, just to not dumb it down, but to put it at its most elementary level, if, if we are created in his image, yes, but we're fallen. We're fallen. In fact, the scripture says that we're, you know, in sin, my mother conceived me, meaning that I was born with a nature that is sinful. It means that the DNA that was ours is tainted. And, and if his core character trait is love, then that, that DNA of love is not, is not with me just because I'm physically born as, as one of his children. Big picture. I have to be reborn. It's called being Born again, John 3 uses the term. I have to be born from above is another way that Greek verb could be translated so that the DNA is kind of uh, uh, um, morphed into um, his DNA so that inside me now, I don't just, I'm not just a ball of flesh with a spirit. I've got literally the person of Christ inside of me so that if I will get to know my father, that that real me that John's been talking about all through his letter will, will come out of me, and it'll be real love, down to the very core of the motive. Down to the very core of the motive. What John is saying is, if you don't have that DNA, you can do some look-alike stuff. And he's not saying you can't do some benevolent, kind, gracious, good things in a messed-up world. He's not saying that. What he is saying is, and he would even say it to the parents of the children who may not be believers. And, and I'm just trying to tell you what John would say. He'd say, of course you love your children in one way. Of course there's enough of the vestige of my image that's still in you, even though you're fallen, that you love them in a certain way. But in terms of its purest form, if you don't have my DNA in you, you can't love in that purest way, in what he would call that true way. Only those born of God can love like God. That's what he would say. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, just, just one second. Does that make sense to you? Okay, does that make sense? Okay, let, let me move on, all right? Number two, we are called to imitate his kind of love. And this is where it speaks more practically to what um, Melik and I were just talking about in terms of what it looks like for people to really love. In verse 11, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to, in that very same way, love one another. And I want to tell you what I think is in John's mind. Remember, John not only wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation, he wrote what else? What other book did he write? The Gospel of John. And I'm not trying to get all Greek on you, okay? But if you look at these two phrases, if you want to put those on the screen, um, there's John 3.16. The, the first word that's uh, pronounced, hutos, is the word for so, and it's an adverb that means thusly, or this is the way. And this is John 3, 16. Uh, so for loved God the world. For God so loved the world. You know this verse. Many of you know this verse, okay? And if you could put the other verse uh, up there, this is 1 John 16, 4, 4, 11, I mean. You see agape toy, that very first word, it's, it's a form of the, God so loved. Uh, if... A, if God thus, see the hutos, thus so God loved us, meaning the world, 
And so I think they're so similar in terms of their grammar that I'm suggesting that what John is doing here is he's having a flashback to when he wrote the Gospel of John that we think he probably wrote before he wrote 1 John, and he's really thinking of the cross. If God so loved the world, what do you mean so? In this way he chose to display his love. Now, if you look at the four things he says now in these uh, three verses, 9, 10, and 11, um, you'll you'll see that I, I think this is an accurate way to read this text, he goes on to say, in this, verse 9, verse 10, in this, in fact, if you go back to verse 16 of chapter 3, he says it again, by this or in this. Do you think he's repeating himself for a purpose? He's trying to say, when you look at the love of God, verse 16, by this, in this, in tuto, we know love because he's laid down his life for us. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved him, but he sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Do you see where this thing is going? Now, what really got me this week is I don't know why I did this. I went to the Internet and started looking at different world religions. I did some reading on Hinduism did some reading on uh, ancient Greek mythology, some reading on um, ancient Egyptian religion. Do you know that in some of these ancient religions, there are stories about an incarnational dying God? Do you know this? Yeah, there are. So, for example, you can look up Dionysius, who would be in Greek mythology, and you can look it up, Osiris, who would be in Egyptian mythology, or they, I don't know if they would say historiography, or you could look up Krishna in the Vedic literatures, and I, I got to tell you, I, I did some, you know, Googling and more Googling, and they believe they have found evidence that Krishna was a historical figure, and there are stories about Krishna who died sacrificially as the incarnation of God, in a sense, being God's son. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, so this is not new in terms of at least ideology. So what's the difference with Christianity? And I thought, and I prayed, and I thought, and I prayed, and this is what I've come up with, and maybe you guys can dialogue with me and come up with more, but in all of these other world religions, it was almost like God incarnating and dying in behalf of people was, I I can't even believe this, was almost like a sidebar issue. It was like, yeah, 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 he did that. But look at all this other stuff he did. And here's how you follow him. You know, again, a long list of rules. Only in Christianity does the arrow that points to the heart of what God is about, being a God of love, Only in Christianity does it point to God giving us his son to die for the likes of us. This isn't a sidebar issue with Christianity. This is the thing. There ain't no other thing. If this thing ain't the thing, then Christianity, as far as I'm concerned, has no meaning. And I think John would say the same thing. So notice, he says, God has sent his only son, his only son, the Greek word monogenes, 
only, his only, the emphasis on the word only, his only son. A couple of years ago, I have a friend named Brian Schroger who I went to seminary with and we did our church, we majored in church history together and spent time together and got to know our wives and as couples and he was a good guy. And then we left seminary, he went into whatever ministry he went into and I did what I did with Carla and um, got a letter uh, one day talking about his son named Taylor who was very, very ill, had cancer. And we were starting to follow the progress of Taylor's um, illness. And Taylor finally had to have one of his legs amputated. And then they showed pictures of him, the next Christmas card of him walking around in crutches. But with a great spirit, Taylor apparently had just a great spirit as he fought this illness. And then finally we got notice. I think it might have been one Christmas. Maybe it was another time of the year where he sent us uh, Taylor's obituary. And uh, on the back, it talked about his last hours on the planet. And I don't, Carla, can you remember whether Taylor was his only son or not? It wasn't his only son, but it was his firstborn son. The, the analogy truly fits. And at the very end, when he was in the hospital room with, with, with Taylor, as Taylor was getting ready to breathe his last, the cancer had just overtaken his body. He said, uh, Brian said, I told Taylor, it's all right, son. You can let go now. Jesus the Christ is waiting for you. He loves you so much. You can let go. You can let go. And then finally, Brian said, he said to his son, as he watched his son's chest heave up and down for the very last time, he said, Good night, son. I'll see you in the morning. Good night, son. I'll see you in the morning. I can't even tell the story right now because, and I've never even met Taylor, and I haven't seen Brian, and you, but there's something about someone's only son. There's something about love with our, our children that is captured in this reality, and yet this isn't just any father. This is God, the father of the universe. This is not just any son. This is his only son, the very essence of himself that he gave. Why? Because God is love. And in this, in this, whatever else has or hasn't happened, in this, he has shown us his love. This is the love we are called to imitate. This. In, in this sending his son to the cross. And, and then he goes on to say that we might live. You know what's implied there? That he gave his son who was alive for those of us who, who were dead so that we might come to life. In this is love that he not only gave his son, but he gave his alive son that had no issues for those of us who were dead, so that by giving his life, we could come back to life. And then he says, not that we loved God, verse 11. <laughs> Isn't this the way we, we, we picture it sometimes? That we're like puppies. And, you know, you go out to the mall at Christmas and you see all those 
those puppies. And even in a litter of puppies, the beautiful puppies, there's always a runt, isn't there? And so when you look at those puppies, it's like those puppies are looking back at you, even the one that's kind of maybe a little smaller, maybe not as healthy, maybe a little bit disfigured. Even that little runt is looking back at us as if to say, woof, woof, I love you, I love you. And, and, and what happens? I mean, I want to buy one of those dogs every time I'm in one of those places. And Carla says, we don't get dogs there. They have worms. They get all these illnesses. We're not getting a dog there or a cat or a, or, or, or a gerbil or any of those other creatures that are crawling around up in that place. I think sometimes we think that God looked down and saw us. We were like a litter of puppies. I love you, God. Would you just love me? Because I'm kind of in a bad spot. And then we might, if our theology is a little bit more crisp, a little bit more um, able to deal with the dark side, maybe we're like, okay, we're a whole bunch of the runts of the litter. We're kind of a little bit disfigured. We're, We're not quite as attractive, but we're still saying, I love you, God. You know what John says? We never said that. In fact, not to be crass, and you know, I, I get so afraid that somebody might be offended, but I, I, somehow we've got to understand when he looked down at us, he didn't see some little puppy dog-eyed human being saying, please just love us back. We already are loving you. He saw somebody saying, forget you, screw you. I don't need you. I don't want you. It's not that we loved God, but that he first made a decision to love us. You know why? Because he is love. It's who he is. It's who he is. The day that you think because of some screw-up thing that you did, or I I think because of some screw-up thing that I did, that he's going to stop loving us, it is impossible because he is love. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's who he is, man. I might do a loving thing since I've got God's DNA in me. You can't say Kevin is love. You can say I might love because I have God's DNA. God is love. And in this he has showed it by sending his son. In this he has shown it by sending his son to those, for those who were dead so that we might live. Even though his son had no need, his son was alive. He died so that we might live. By sending his son, even though we weren't loving him, he just chose to love us. And then it says to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, the sinless one came to die for those of us who were in need of someone to be sacrificed for our sins so that we could have forgiveness. Scarcely for a good man would someone die, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, saying, screw you, Christ died for us. When I was first putting together this First John series with the team of teachers, I thought, what am I going to be teaching around Christmas time? We need something a little more Advent-oriented. This, my brothers and sisters, is Advent. Because that little baby represents God in the flesh who grew up, who came because he is love to die for those of us who had no life so that we might live. He chose to love those of us who were in sin, even though he was sinless so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I think what John is saying, my brothers and sisters, is this. When he says, 
if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is what I think he's saying. Look at that cross. Keep your eyes on that cross. This is for God so loved us. If you, if you keep connected to that cross, when you turn to your brother or your sister, even if they are giving you this same thing that we gave God, you will fall on your knees and wash their feet. We will love one another as God has so loved us. What does it mean? Through the cross. And of course, you know, don't you, that the problem is not with that nice person sitting in the pew next to you this morning. Hi, hi, nice, fine, I love you, me too. You know, that's no problem. It's when you turn around and that nice person goes, oh. see, she's doing it more than once even. See how, see how Lil is? That's when the rubber meets the road, doesn't it? At that point, my brothers and sisters, we can't just love like the rest of humanity is trying to love. You love me, I love you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. At that point, it's going to take if God so loved us. So what does it mean? Like this. He chose we were flipping him off. He sent his best. He sent his son. When we had nothing, we had no life, we had no forgiveness, we had nothing. He so loved us. We've got to have some of that to love all the one another's all the way home. That's agape love, Cindy. You get an A plus on your theology exam today. Now, this is the kicker. This is the last piece. Just one second, Dan. This is the last piece. Number three. When we love like this, oh, God, how do I? The unseen God lives among us and is clearly seen. I'm going to tell you right now, I am not adequate to say these words. I am not enough to say these words. I don't live it enough. I don't have enough smarts to say it. I guess I'm the one to say it because I'm standing in this spot. It's a truth that has been true, at least with the Hebrew God, since the beginning of time. No one has seen God at any time. He's spirit. But you know what this same John that wrote 1 John says back in John 1.18? Remember what he says? God became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in him, in the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, he makes God visible. John chapter 1, verse 18. Remember that? And then in John 14, Philip is still saying, we're not quite getting it. Thomas is still saying, we're not quite getting it. It's the night before his crucifixion. And he's leaving. And he goes, we, we don't really know. Show us God. He goes, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The unseen God is made visible in Jesus. Oh, but then there's another problem. Jesus left. And so now how's God, how's God going to be seen now? 
According to John, if he's going to be seen at all, he's going to be seen in us as we manifest his key, core, character trait of love. How? The way he loved us through that cross. And so two ways that he's seen. Look at this. First, when we love one another, he is seen by the unbelieving world. Verse 12 might be one of the most powerful verses in the entire New Testament. It says, no one has seen God at any time, but if we, that's us, love one another, how? Through the cross, no matter what, no matter if somebody's spitting in our face, God, the phrase is translated in the New King James, God abides in us. Can I tell you that an even better way maybe to translate this phrase is that when we love one another like God loved us, God literally walks among us so that the unseen God is now seen in our midst. And his love is absolutely, the Greek word is translated perfected here. It means his love, the love of God. Can you believe this? The love of God has reached its full maturity. Where? In us. In us. I didn't say this. I'm not smart enough to say this. John said, if you want to see the unseen God, you have to look to the body of Christ where he lives when we love like he loves. And without us loving like he loves, the unseen God, listen, cannot be seen in the world. In fact, if you drop to verse 14, it says, we testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. We testify And I know in a Western society, we think that the way we're going to testify is to be able to answer every question that every unbeliever ever had. And can I tell you how to bypass most of the questions that unbelievers have? Is with this love. Because most of, at least my experience on this planet has been that most of the time when a non-believer asks a question, and I try to answer it because I like a good dialogue, I like to get involved with the apologetics of my faith, most of the time, what I find after getting into the answers to the supposed questions, I find that what that person is really looking for is this love that God says would make him seen even when somebody's intellect can't quite grab the logistics of the truth. Do you believe this? And I I feel like a broken record sometimes. We talk about the 40,000 denominations, and most most of the splits we've had in the Church of Jesus Christ are not because of some big doctrinal thing. It's because we have not loved. And so the non-believing world says, you guys are all a bunch of, you know, you you guys are crazy, man. You talk all this love, and yet you can't hang with your Asian brother. You can't hang with your black brother. You can't hang with your white brother. You can't hang with the brother that looks cross-eyed at you. You've got to go start another church. The main reason why the world doesn't see God is not because we don't have better programs. Are you listening? It is not because we don't have better programs. It's not because we don't have better bands. It's not because we don't have better preachers. The reason 
that God is not seen by the unbelieving world is because, my brothers and sisters, we don't yet know him enough yet to love like he loved. Because John says, when we love like that, God, the unseen, is visible. Literally, he walks among us. I think this is exactly what John records Jesus is saying in John 13, the night before he was crucified. I'm leaving now. You can't come with me, but I'm leaving you behind. If you will just love one another as I have loved you, the whole world will know that you're with me and that I come from God. I think John's just recapitulating that message. How do we miss it, my brothers and sisters? How do we miss it? How do we miss it? I think one of the reasons we miss it is because... And this is in verse 7. Beloved, if we love one another, beloved. (laughs) He's assuming that we know that we are loved. And that leads us to the last thing that I think John is saying here. It's not only the non-believing world that sees Jesus. Look what it says. But when we love one another... He is seen and known and believed in by each of us. Seen, known, and believed in. How many other words can he use to say that those of us who are so wounded that we are not yet quite sure that God loves us. We just, man, what we saw when we were growing up, what we've seen in our adult life, it just doesn't compute. I don't feel love because of what I've seen. John says, you just, you gotta see more of the God who is love. You gotta see more of him. You've got to experience more of him. And John says, the place that is supposed to be created where those who are wounded to the point that they don't know the love of God can experience the healing that they need because they see him. They see him. He's right there. It's as if Jesus was right there reaching out to their leprosy and touching them. Is the body of Christ. This is the place of healing. Not this building. This community. You and you, 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 as you love one another across whatever the enemy would flip up between you to say, this should divide you, split now, hate now, have apathy toward one another now. When the Holy Spirit, who is key to this text, enlivens that love in us, we create space for those who are somewhere still on their journey saying, I just don't know, I just don't know if he loves me. This is the place where he is to be seen so that folks can be healed and know that his love is real for them. While, while we're conducting strategies, if, I could, if we could just do this little thing or zap people like this, or if we could just have enough knowledge of God says, well, I got to tell you, that's all good, nothing wrong with that. Hope you have more knowledge. Hope you come up with more techniques. But I got to tell you, if you really want my healing... If you want folks to know my love, love one another. And then even in your own midst, 
believers who believe, who know this much of his love, when they keep hanging, they keep hanging, they keep hanging, they keep hanging. They're with the body. They're with with the community. The Holy Spirit is pulling up the love of the Father in the midst. He's walking in the midst of us. As we're with one another, we grow in our ability to see and know and be healed by the love of a God who is love. Do you understand, my brothers and sisters, when you call me and we meet at the coffee shop and you go, man, I I just need to know more about his love. And then I have to ask myself, okay, and you tell me your life story and I always respect it because I have my own story. And then I'll say, what can I say that will, and this is what I think it comes down to for some of you. When I say, man, you need to connect with the community. I think this is what you hear. You need to get your butt to church. Diana said, we do, (laughs) but not for the reasons you think, but so that your soul can be healed of what the enemy has tried to steal from it, which is the core reality of the fact that God loves you. and, 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 And is in the process of healing you and wants to fill you up with himself That's why we need to get together. Otherwise, who gives a rip about the attendance? Who really gives a rip? Well, we give a little rip about the giving, but you get what I'm saying. (laughs) I'm talking about human beings be healed. He's saying not just the world sees the unseen God, but when you get with the community and he's walking amongst us in love, you, my brothers and sisters, and I, when I come here on a Sunday morning with the love of God, The enemy's tried to rip it from my spirit all week long. I come here not to preach. I come here to get some of this reality. I I come here to get me some God. I come here to get me some God love. And it's not what you say. It's who you are. It's not so much you're preaching to me or the Bible verses you know. It's what's in you that comes out to one another as well as to me. In that connecting, I experience the God who is abiding us and walking in us. The God who is love, when we love, John says, he shows up and people, people see him and people know him. And people, you come in with doubts, you leave with faith. Because, not because somebody answered your every last question, but because that God you were doubting, you came, you saw him. You saw him. You saw him. You sensed him. And you went out with a faith that was burgeoning, even though you go, how did that happen? Because God walked amongst you. Yikes. I just don't know how to say it right, but let me just... By the way, we we saw this in your way last week. We saw it. People getting healed. Pam said she did inner healing prayer with folks that what usually takes 10 sessions, maybe here in the States, took one because the, the, the presence of God was so strong. It, it, he was there in the love. I'm telling you, he was there in the love. People got healed. I want to read this one last story from Donald Miller. Listen to this. He says, Last year I pulled a friend out of his closet He was drunk, and his wife was pacing the house in tears, unable to find him. 
his marriage was falling apart because of his inability to stop drinking. This man is a kind and brilliant man, touched with many gifts from God, but addicted to alcohol and being taken down in the fight. He was suicidal, we thought, and the kids had been sent away. We sat together on his back deck and talked for hours deep into the night. I didn't think he was going to make it, and I worried about him. And as I boarded my flight back to Portland, he checked himself into rehab. Now listen, two months later, he picked me up from the same airport. He had gone several weeks without a drink, and he told me the story of the beginnings of his painful recovery process. He said a single incident was giving him the strength to continue. Now, just, just hear the point of this story. It's, it's about a recovery group, not necessarily the Baptist Church or the Methodist Church, but it's wherever believers gather. That's where the church is, correct? Is that right, where two or three gather in my name? His father had flown in to attend a recovery meeting with him, and in the meeting, my friend had to confess all of his issues and weaknesses. When he finished, his father stood up to aggress the group of, of recovering people there. He looked at his son and he said, I have never loved my son as much as I do at this moment. I love him. I want all of you to know I love him. My friend said at that moment for the first time in his life, he was able to believe that God loved him too. He believed if God, his father, and his wife all loved him, he could fight the addiction. He believed he might just make it. This is what I think John has tried to say. Put up the big idea, my brother. Our unseen God literally walks among us when we love one another like he sacrificially loved us. He is seen by all. And can, all can begin to believe that it is true. His love for us is real.